and welcome to Captive Audience, where the podcast length doesn't matter. I'm your host and creator, Kelly, and uh, my friend Ariana is here. Hi. To talk about the Wilma's production of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, it's a this is this um, experience is a little bit different this time because it has also been a little bit of time since we have seen the this show. It's been what would you say it's been? Maybe like a month or two at mm-hmm. least since we went to go see this show. Um, the correct date when we saw it will be in the notes for the podcast. But this was a this was a show that was at the Wilma Theater, which is in Philadelphia, um, known for very eclectic works. So because I was familiar with Romeo and Juliet from high school, as I'm sure most kids are. I decided that it would be an interesting show to go to because of its because of its eclectiveness. I really wanted to see what they were going to do with this musical to make it different. I feel like there are hundreds of productions of Romeo and Juliet. So my experience with theater is, uh, well, to make it quick, uh, I was in musical musical theater in middle school and high school with Ariana. Um, and then later I would go on to pursue architecture actually. Uh, and then later than that, after college, I went into set design. Um, so I've been familiarizing myself with Broadway and Philadelphia theater um, and regional theaters for uh, about almost, almost, almost a year. Broadway, of course, has been a longer love, but one of the really cool things I get to do is explore the theater in Philadelphia. Um, which is what I'm doing today. But what is your experience with theater and with maybe the the Philadelphia theater scene? So as you mentioned, I was in theater since seventh grade, all the way up through high school. I was in show choir, traditional choir, uh, and then I kind of stopped in college. I actually did choir for a little while in college. And then uh, I went on to study music industry which, you know, taught me a lot about the music side. And so I've always been very connected to musical theater more so and music because I, you know, love to sing and play instruments and I write songs. So yeah, that's been, you know, my main experience. And I'm also connected to the Philadelphia Theater scene. I used to intern at the Philadelphia Theater Company and yeah, saw this show with you. And what's your experience with Romeo and Juliet specifically? So, you know, I learned about Romeo and Juliet. You hear about it on TV, you read it in high school. Um, I'm also a very big uh, Shakespeare fan, so it might not necessarily be my favorite work by Shakespeare, but, you know, very well familiar with it. I've seen it done on stage before, so this is not my first time seeing a stage adaptation of the play. Yeah. Uh, For me, um, I have, again, also only seen it in high school performed by a bunch of unenthused 10th graders. Um, It's been the only way that I've really experienced Romeo and Juliet. Well, that and the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio Mm -hmm. in it. So I haven't seen it on theater yet, and it's always really interesting to see how people will take up Romeo and Juliet. I wouldn't call it a blank slate necessarily, but it's been so many done so many times, people always try and find a unique way to spin it, which is always a really interesting experience. So I wanted to start by talking about maybe some of our favorite parts without talking about the set. We always like to do a little bit about the story first. I found that I really enjoyed, there was a composer in it named uh, Gracie Martin, 
who sort of took, was it the chorus, I believe? Yeah. Like bits and pieces of the monologue from the chorus and turned it into songs. Um, and that was really interesting. And the chorus kind of followed her around with this sing-songy kind of uh, musicianship, um, which I thought was really interesting. What did you think about that as a singer, as a singer-songwriter yourself and you write music? You know, I thought it was a very interesting take. Uh, I thought the music was very well done, and I think it really helped to bring attention to some of the dialogue from the chorus that can often be overlooked because it's not main dialogue necessarily moving the plot forward, but commenting on what has happened thus far. And so I think that it kind of gave the chorus a refresher, like a different look. And kind of made those parts stand out more and bring more attention to what's going on and the actual, you know, emotions and feelings that they're going through up until that point. I think that I think it was a really interesting addition, um, especially her voice is really is really different. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated that in the in the show. Um, what did you think about? I mean, some of the highlight performances, I would say, was definitely. Anthony Martinez Briggs, who played Mercutio, who started off with a rap in the beginning mm-hmm. uh, and got every person in that audio hyped. Um, he's also, I believe, a sound designer, which is really interesting because he's an actor and he does a lot of stuff backstage. So there's a lot of that kind of crossover in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. I also really liked Tasha. Um, her name is, and she played the Juliet and I thought she was really good and I also thought the nurse was very good as well mm-hmm. and she's been in a she's been the uh Chris Krista Apple has been in a lot of has been in a lot of really good shows I also thought oh man if I go keep going through this list I'm just gonna say that I thought everybody was good but I thought Sully Holm was also very good as the mother um there are a lot of really fun scenes between the uh Miss Capulet who is Juliet's mother, and then Juliet and the nurse. There were a lot of really good scenes in between mm-hmm. them, and they all did a fantastic job. They probably had my favorite scenes. Then and, them and Anthony, who played Mercutio, was a really cool, and I really hate that Mercutio dies so early. Yeah. <laughs> because all I wanted to do was see him perform. Um, but were there any standouts for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think Matteo did a very good job as Romeo, and I think Tasha was a wonderful Juliet. And I think for me, the thing that stood out about these actors is, you know, a lot of times people look at Shakespeare and see this play that was written years ago and kind of see it as this proper piece of, with adults and kind of sort of forget that Romeo and Juliet are children. <laughs> uh, you know, Juliet is like, what, around 13 years old, and Romeo, like, a little bit older, but not even by that much. And so you look at Romeo and Juliet, and I think they really brought out the essence of childhood in them. You know, the, the tantrums that Juliet would throw when she was just in the room with her mother and the nurse really just reminded you, you know, she's being, you know, married off to Paris and she's only been on this earth for 13 years and you know with Matteo just him being 
so depressed and in love with the first woman. I'm blanking on Rosaline. Oh, Rosaline. 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 Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden he meets Juliet and it's like this love at first sight. And then he can't, you know, you're so young at that age when that sort of love comes over you. It's like you can't think about anything else. You can't possibly fathom that, yeah. you know, this plan might go wrong. He played a dumb teenager very well. Yeah. He was yes. very good at it. A dumb teenager in puppy love he played very well. Yes. Um, and, of course, him in the and his scenes um, with uh, who were who were in his his little group? It was Romeo, Mercutio, and Benvolio. Also bounced off of each other. I f- I find that with Shakespeare shows, I don't like it when people are just by themselves and monologuing. I'm not a big fan of monologues. I really like it when you get to see characters interact with each other, mm-hmm. and that's maybe why I like actors so much. Is I like seeing how different actors bounce off of each other. So in Broadway, for example, where these shows are running for long stretches of time, and you can see different actors go into these roles, um, especially when the the shows are going on for years. I think that I I really do miss that in like regional theater. Like I would love to be invested in in how an actor portrays someone, and then you know all of a sudden either they're not there that night or their run has ended, and then you have somebody else come in. Mm-hmm. I think another person to mention too is uh, Lindsay smiling as Friar Lawrence. Oh, he was great. He played a really good. So the play really took Romeo Some mo- and Juliet weird modern liberties with it and modernized it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that to an extent made it easier to follow and understand. Because one thing I think that's forgotten a lot is that Shakespeare was written for the modern day person back at that time. And some of the ways that they talked was, you know, kind of like ye old slang. So, you know, you get this, you know, Rastafarian methodologist who's teaching, you know, to the to the masses. And, you know, I think it just really, you know, kind of took a different approach to Romeo and yeah, I I would agree with that. Before we before we move on to the set, I just want to also call out uh the UART students who I thought did a really fantastic job. I was gonna be I was gonna say for being so young, but honestly, I think they just did a fantastic job. Yeah, I thought that they were just really good. They were really in sync. They didn't. They were all kind of like like these like rebellious. There was like this one moment where they like all were standing in a line. It was the whole chorus. And I'm sure it was like at the end of act one or something. And that was just a really good moment because you could see like each one of their personalities coming out, even though they had to say say the same thing at the same time. I thought that was really interesting. And I think that, I mean, I wish I could highlight them, but I don't have their pictures in front of me. But um, I thought that they were, I thought that they were really good and really interesting. So let's talk about the set. I want to talk about the the set that Matt Saunders did for this. Um, being the set designer, I want to hear your thoughts first. So what did you think about the set? I thought it was a very unique and well done set. There wasn't really much on the stage, but what kind of built the walls in the house and throughout the scenes were these layers of like 
golden fringe. And so these golden fringe screens would be moved around throughout the show and they were used as the main blockers for the different rooms. And I thought it was an interesting concept in, you know, certain scenes they would layer them. So I know like at the, the party, the ball where Romeo and Juliet meet, you know, there's this wall of fringe that you can see through and the party is kind of going on behind them and Romeo and Juliet each kind of come out and step out into the open and they're going about their scene. And with that, you can still see everything that's going on behind. And I think that the fringe kind of represents a deeper layering to what's going on in the show. One, in a sense of with all this transparency, you know, it's there in terms of the set, but it's something that's lacking in terms of the actual plot of the show. So if there was more transparency through what was going on, if people were communicating with each other about what was actually going on, you know, would Romeo and Juliet have died? Would they have had to? Would something else have been able to go on? So it didn't, you know, have that element in terms of the plot, but they brought it into the set, which I thought was unique. Yeah, I think that the I think that the set design um, is like basically everything that you just said. Um, it's important to to note it was all like a golden kind of fringe color, and they were all the same color, and they were all basically the same dimensions. You had two types. You had the wall of fringe, fringe, fringe. You had the wall of fringe, and then you also had um, these little. And I'm sorry, Matt, but what I could only describe is like clothing like big like carts that were on wheels that looked like they were like large clothing dressers or whatever that you would hang a bunch of clothes on and kind of go through them that would be at like a mall, but it was just fringe. And then um, you would be able to slide these carts together to make walls or you would be able to slide them on top of each other, not on top of each other, but behind them. So if you had five, um, one in front of the other, and then you were standing in front of it, it looked like a solid wall because all of the fringe would fill in all of the spaces that the other four would fill in that fringe. So it, it had the capability of having, of being not just like a beautiful way to represent a wall, but also had the density behind it. Mm -hmm. um, so a wall could be, you know, as dense as, I forget what that moment was, but when Romeo was standing all the way in the back and there were all these fringe, there was a fringe and it was five in a row and it was diagonal. And I forget what the context of that scene is, whether it be that or whether it just be the two walls of fringe that were separating Romeo and Romeo and Juliet from the party, which was like one layer of fringe. Um, I thought the way that they did that was was really smart. Uh, there was also uh, the one of the solid pieces was like I can is I guess it was supposed to be like a solid industrial wall um, that was in the back, which is is was really clever because you you go the entire play um, and people kind of like climb over it and they do a ton of things. They climb over it. They're kind of on top of it sometimes. Um, and it's a really interesting set piece because that wall is entirely fake. That's not a wall that exists. Like there's no, the backspace of the Wilma's theater does not look like a wall that you can climb over that was created specifically for the set, um, which is really interesting because all of the, all of the chorus, I believe, climb over it at the end and they sing their last song on top of the wall, which is really interesting. I was wondering 
what you thought of kind of like the seating arrangement and the immersion in it. Um, there were a lot of parts where Gracie, who was the vocalist, would come out and kind of break the fourth wall to us, the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would play her guitar. I think it was a guitar. Um, and she would kind of vocalize and sing. And there were a lot of times also where in Romeo and Juliet, they break into monologues and they're talking at the audience. So I was wondering how you felt that was for immersion sake. Did you feel kind of like immersed into the show? I thought that the transparency of the fringe did a really good way to kind of introduce you into the into the performance and into the stage and what was happening. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that it was a fairly immersive experience and I think one thing that made it even more so again was the modernization of it uh, because it was kind of something that was taking place in modern time at least how in the way that they're telling the story um, you know I think it was something that was kind of easy to follow along with um, especially again with like Romeo and Juliet being something that you know you study in school and you learn it and then I think you know, adding that extra element of modern times kind of makes it even, you know, more easier just to, to follow along. And I think one of the things that really helped it stand out was the lighting. The lighting design was done by Maria Shapelin, and it was just phenomenal. I mean, I'd never been in a in an area where the lighting would truly like represent daytime or nighttime, like. I had no question about what time of day it was, whether they were inside or outside. It was, it just somehow truly imitated just being outside and having that. Yeah, I feel Um, like, sorry, I feel like uh, lighting design can really have um, either like, it can, I don't know, because I feel like sometimes like if you know that like the lighting design is really good and you're kind of like paying attention, like maybe it's not the best design because it's drawing your eye but in another way I feel like that that was something that clearly was talked about where they wanted to talk about hey this party takes place at night or Romeo's running through the garden at night or the time of day when Mercutio correct dies is like during like blistering hot sun like it's very it's it's very important I guess it's almost like it's sim- it's so good it's so stark that it almost also simulates weather really well mm-hmm. um which is a really interesting thing that I think that the lighting designer has created um and I really like the experience because I feel like the set is almost so abstract that you need something a little bit realistic to kind of bring you back in right. um realistic being that you can tell it's night and day. And the one thing that I thought also that made it very interesting was that it seemed to rely on a lot of a yellow light. And then you also have the golden color fringe. So it seems like gold, gold and yellow were just like really colors that they were heavy hitting on for the for the show. Yeah, it was definitely like a theme throughout the throughout the show. I I also really enjoyed how minimal the set was. It's really interesting because there were very few set pieces that were like physically there. There were some benches at the end, I remember, to represent the tomb where they put Juliet in after they quote unquote found her dead. Um, spoiler alert, she wasn't dead yet. 
And I thought that it was just, I think there it's a really interesting simulation to put uh, characters in a very abstract environment and then a very realistic environment. And then you also had um, the lighting was very sur- uh, surrealist, surrealist. So it was very realistic and then also very fantasy. So it's just a really interesting like dichotomy. And in a way, I, I, I understand that Romeo and Juliet has, has to be a little bit different every time you see it. Um, just because everybody is familiar with the story, everybody knows how it's going to end. So that's a very interesting way to go in and experience a show, is knowing that something is going to happen. I mean, I feel like the big twist, you know, what do you think the big twist, like, of the show was, like, when Shakespeare, like, first wrote it? Like, what was the, what was the audience, like, what was the audience's reaction when, when Juliet, is dead and Romeo comes in and then he drinks actual poison and then she wakes up. I'm sure that if this had been a fresh play, like if we were 10th graders who were just seeing this play for the first time without having read the entire script, which is basically what the book is, um, you know, what I'm sure people's reactions were different. But even you were talking about the pop culture representation that immediately spoils and parodies mm-hmm. the entire show and the ending and everything. So I feel like the experiences could be could be like super different coming in. What do you think that the kind of the spoilerness of having been immersed in a culture that is basically has always spoiled Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet, like what do you think the pressure is to do something new? Well, I think there is a great pressure to do something new because I feel like every time I hear about Romeo and Juliet, it's just like a Boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, boy and girl die because they're crazy teenagers and they have awful patients and whatnot. Um, you know, so I feel like it's just almost overdone, to be completely honest. Like, I just think it's so ingrained in our culture. You know, it's like any time that you see a TV show where the kid is auditioning for a school play, that play just so happens to be Romeo and Juliet. Or, you know, a kid has a crush that's auditioning for the play and they want to play the Juliet to his Romeo or the Romeo to her Juliet. You know, it's it's so done that everyone already knows what's going to happen. So I don't really think that there is a whole lot that can be done to refresh it. You know, I feel like a lot of people you know, try to do the whole thing where they make it modern and they, they put it in a today kind of context. And then you have everyone who tries to, you know, keep it very true to its form and very historical. So, you know, to be honest, I don't really know what can be done to revive this yeah. play. Yeah. I think that the set, I think that there's like a really interesting point to be made with existing works that are very well known. <laughs> to almost redo with like it like the set designer and the lighting designer who we've been talking about really made that really made that play like a little bit different. I think another thing that really added to the to the play is the fact that Juliet was not white. I think that was a really interesting addition. Um, I would say that it was less of a choice to identify Juliet with a culture and it was more a colorblind casting. Um, because her, there were no, there were no attempts to make it similar to a culture or her parents and her parents were both played by, uh, actors who were white. 
which isn't to say that adoption doesn't exist because I'll be the first person to yell at you about that, that characters can be adopted. And I think that it's a really interesting thing that they could have, I mean, that they could have explored. It depends on your opinion of changing scripts. Um, I think that there definitely could have been ways where things were changed, where things could have been changed to kind of represent the dichotomy a lot more without having to put it into text. Um, but I thought that that was, did you think that was really interesting? Because I thought that was really interesting. Normal, well, also because you normally don't see people of color being cast in like Shakespeare and like doing like, you know, all these Shakespearean, I feel like we always associate the Renaissance and whatever with white people. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, you know, what did you think about that? Well, you know, I think it spoke true to, like you said, a, a colorblind casting and more so of a, you know, whoever can do the best job as this role sort of, you know, gets the role. So, you know, I thought it was, you know, a nice, a nice choice. Um, and I think that she really did the character justice. Well, like I mentioned earlier in the beginning, you know, Juliet is a 13 year old girl. She's, you know, still a child. And she did that role very well in terms of throwing the tantrums and, you know, being so impulsive with Friar Lawrence that she's willing to do just about anything to get out of this wedding. Well, I think Romeo was like a bigger crybaby. Like, Romeo just cried. He was. He fully just, like, was the baby. And I thought it was really funny because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like in the book they were very even. I don't remember the book very well and I don't like Shakespeare that much, but I feel like in the book they were very even, whereas in this production, Romeo was just a crybaby. And, like, Juliet would be like, toughen up! Well, I feel like that's, you gotta do this for us! I feel like that's something that's underlined in the script. I think that at his essence, he really is a crybaby. But I don't think that he's often played that way. That would make a I lot mean, of sense. you know, he's, he's standing around moping, you know, because he's in love with this girl that either just doesn't love him back or hardly even knows he exists. So, you know, I, I think that... They played it true to what it's supposed to be. And then the circle back to your question about freshening it up. The one thing that I do think that did, you know, kind of make it different from everything else was the music. You know, there were parts of the chorus that were script that were taken out because it was replaced with music. So, you know, I think that was an interesting attempt. Yeah. Overall, I would say it was a really good play. Yeah. I encourage all of my listeners to go see regional theater. Like, check out your states or your county. Uh, we're very lucky. Me and Ariana are both based in Philadelphia, um, which is also, you know, three hours from New York, uh, two, three hours away from New York. So, you know, we have access to a lot of theater, but I, if you look Hard enough, I promise there are regional shows that you can probably get to um, and support those local theaters because they are doing new things that maybe Broadway isn't doing. I, I mean, New York has, you know, hundreds of houses probably, but all you ever hear about is, is Broadway and a little bit about off-Broadway. So I highly suggest, not that they're not doing great things, but I highly suggest that you, you look up your local regional theater and uh, see if you can give them like a little visit. So uh, once again, this was Romeo and Juliet at the Wilma in Philadelphia. Um, if you do live in Philadelphia, like I highly recommend you go see Wilma shows. This was my first show at the Wilma. 
Um, and it was great. I would totally go back. Um, I missed their Mr. Burns show, which I also heard was very good. But I will try to not be missing any of their shows from now on. So is there anything that you want to plug, Ariana? Yeah, so you can follow me at Ariana Nicole Music on Instagram and Facebook and my website, ArianaNicoleMusic.com, where you can hear my EP memoirs. My um my social medias will all be in the links down below as they are every single time that we do this podcast. The hopefully they're all gonna be under captive audience if I can get if the usernames are not already all taken. So uh we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on Captive Audience, and uh we'll see you to talk about another show next time. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya.